calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Every five minutes, someone dies while waiting for a compatible donor heart, liver, or kidney. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists strive to engineer an animal with human-compatible organs, thereby saving millions of lives. But these ancestors are not the docile herd animals they envision. Instead, the project spawns something big, something evil, something hungry. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Realm presents Control-Alt-Destroy, Episode 10. When the newest leaderboard report appeared on the master display, the control room erupted into ragged cheers. Team USA had jumped up five places since the last report. Dimple Ranhua leapt up from her station and ran toward the huddle of statisticians, who were already downloading the gigs of ancillary data to crunch to figure out the implications. She arrived in time to hear someone gasp. It was Lucinda Brightside, a Texan economist with degrees from MIT and Yale, who certainly wasn't being paid what her enormous brain was worth. There were tears in her eyes. We're going to get the drug, she said, for Houston. Dimple didn't need to ask which drug she meant. Houston had become a code word for a city in deep quarantine. The endless news coverage showed lurid photos of bodies lying unattended in bus stops and in doorways all over the city. The hospitals had become clogged and eventually evacuated outright. The only treatment for the rampant fungal infection had been held up in international patent lawsuits. The parties involved had been drawn into the alternist project to mediate a solution. Lucinda had family there, but what happened? Dimple asked. Lucinda was already scouring through the data logs. I, I don't understand, she said. It looks like the Korean team all lost a level, and some other teams have too. Dimple's stomach lurched. So something dangerous is happening in Alternus, she said. Lucinda nodded, but we haven't suffered a setback. Go team. We haven't had a setback yet, Dimple corrected. But maybe they wouldn't. Whatever trap the Koreans had fallen into, Maybe Team USA could escape it and come out on top at long last. One. Ben, class, elemental mage, level nine. 
HP, 68 out of 90. Mana, 22 out of 54. Status, normal. XP, 34,978. Next level, 45,000. A few moments of Ben's life were frozen in his memory. Perfect crystalline replicas where each sensation was indelibly recorded so he could relive them at any time. There were good ones that he was grateful for. The long-ago sulfuric smell of snuffed matches. The itch of his wool socks. The gentle press of his mother's kiss on his cheek on any given night of Hanukkah. There were bad ones that he would have rather forgotten. The crackle of the radio and the oppressive heat as a bullet zipped by his cheek and struck the body of his Jeep. And then the sound the next one made when it hit Francisco, seated beside him. Now a new moment was preserved in his mind. Far more like Francisco's death than happy childhood holidays. The Skull King stood before him, the last member of the Korean team falling from his fingertips. The gaming idol was dead. Ben didn't need to check a pulse or listen for breaths this time. The player's health bar had gone to zero and flashed out. The Skull King turned to Team USA. Who's next? He asked. A million tiny details all became permanent. The way the light reflected off the Skull King's bare cheekbone. The shadows in the galleries overlooking the room, cordoned off by deep wine-colored drapes. The hiss of breath beside him as Edda reacted to the scene. The tang of blood pooled on the floor at the Skull King's feet, too real and too familiar. The monster's health bar was still almost completely full. 4,800 left out of 5,000 HP. Even the Korean team, as badass as they were, as skilled and as perfectly equipped, even they hadn't been able to even scratch him. Now the Skull King sized up Team USA. The four of them still crowded together in the vestibule to his throne room, and he smiled. Ben wasn't sure how he could be said to smile, given that his face was literally a fleshless skull. But there they were. The king took a step toward them. Dante raised his sword and his shoulders tensed. Come at me, bro, he said. Good boy. Stupid boy. Ready to dive into a fight he already knew he couldn't win. The faces of so many other good, brave, stupid boys flashed before Ben's eyes. The map of blood and agony on Francisco's face pressed forever into the patterns of dark and light behind his eyelids. Ben shook off the cobwebs of memory slowly, painfully. He had saved a few such boys over the years, but not enough. Maybe he could save this one. He raised his hands, prepared for the elaborate series of gestures that spellcasting required of him. In less pressing contexts, he even enjoyed it. A collection of new monsters spawned behind the Skull King. These hounds were skeletal and misshapen, with fangs like a saber-toothed tiger. He refocused on his spell targeting the Skull King. Time to worry about smaller threats later. But before his spell could fire, Run! Edda shouted. Run, run, run! Edda was right. Of course she was right. There was no way they could win this fight, and the best thing to do was to get everybody out of there in one piece. The team stumbled backward out of the vestibule and fled down the long stone hallway. 
But before they'd gone even 50 feet, the walls groaned and shifted in place. Turns appeared where none had been before, and a massive section of stone slammed up, blocking the way they had come. Tandy paused at the new intersection. Which way? Just run! Dante shoved her toward the left. The sound of bone claws clicking on the floor followed behind. The boss's skeletal hounds were giving chase. The sharp smell of frost surrounded them. Ben glanced back over his shoulder. Each of them had 1,500 hit points, and there were two, no, three of them. They loped along in no hurry, like they knew they could wear out their prey. Shit, Dante said. Tandy, did you copy those things from the OG Ghostbusters? His sword flailed alarmingly as he ran. The one with Creeper Vinkman? I would never, Tandy protested. Don't blame me for this. Etta's cheeks puffed with exertion. We're not gonna outrun them. The scroll, Dante shouted. Etta, teleport us out of here. Genius child. Etta produced the scroll and read the words on it out loud. A mess of meaningless syllables in no real language. She got to the end of the scroll just as they turned another corner into a dead end in a hallway. Nothing happened. Etta, is that all of it? Ben asked. He looked from her to the hounds and back again. I got a warning, Etta said. This item cannot be used in this area. Oh, God damn it! We're flagged as in a boss fight, so we can't teleport away. Dante glared at everything and everyone embraced himself with his sword in front of him. A razor-sharp barrier between Team USA and their pursuers. Ben assessed their surroundings, looking for something to get them out of this mess. There were small handholds chiseled into the wall. He traced them up and up to a square of darkness high in the shadows of the ceiling. It might be a hiding spot, or it might be more trouble. But Ben didn't see how the trouble could be any worse than what they'd already found. Tandy! He laced his hands together and nodded at the wall. Climb up, fast! The hounds had almost caught them. Tongues of blue flame lolled out of their mouths, like they were laughing at the crunchy, juicy adventurers. Tandy nodded and put her foot in Ben's hands. He boosted her up toward the handholds and then she pulled herself into the dark square. Her feet vanished over the edge, and for half a dozen heartbeats, Ben worried he'd helped her to her death. Then her face reappeared over the edge, and so did the tip of an arrow. Everyone get up here, she called. There's plenty of room. She fired at one of the hounds and did 80 HP of damage. It howled in fury and quickened its pace to hurl itself at Dante. Dante slashed at the beast for another 120 HP and took 15 HP and cold damage for his trouble, even though the skeletal fang snapped shut in the air inches away from his arm. Ben's sense of pragmatism warred with his instinct. He was a soldier. He should be protecting them. He waved Etta toward the climbing wall. Ladies first. I have more HP, she snapped. Get your sorry ass up there. She was right. And more to the point, she was his boss. Ben gathered his robes together and climbed. He didn't have to do anything this athletic very often. Combat and motion in Alternus were mostly a matter of smooth terrain and dice rolls, or running leaps from one smooth surface to another. But now the long skirt wrapped around his ankles and fell over his toes, hampering his ability to keep his footing. He swore, and pushed the hem up over his knees and then threw his legs out of the way. That made it worse. It pulled wide the long tear down the backside that Cerberus had left him, 
and Ben could feel the breeze crawling up the back. Even money, Dante would start making cracks about the show Ben had put on for everyone once they were out of this. When Ben got to the top, Tandy grabbed his hand and helped to pull him up over the edge. Etta wasn't far behind him. Dante was still engaged in a holding action against the Skull King's skeletal hounds, his back to the wall. The three of them were arrayed in front of him, just out of distance of his sword. But Dante's health had dropped over halfway already. And as Ben watched, it dropped another 20 HP. More passive cold damage. Tandy shot another arrow down and struck true for 40 HP. All three of the hounds were under 1200 HP. At this rate, they'd be able to hold on longer than Dante. Ben wouldn't be able to dispatch them with a fireball or two, not even with critical hits, but maybe he could provide a distraction. But he still had his lowest level spell, Ashfall. It was useless against anything with pumping blood, but it had devastated the first batch of skeletons they'd ever fought, right after they'd first met Tandy. Ben wiggled his fingers in the pattern to trigger it. A slow rain of embers fell onto the hounds, and Tandy shot a few more arrows. The hounds howled and retreated a safe distance onto the area of the ashfall. Time enough for Dante to turn and scramble up the wall and out of their reach. When the ashfall spell's effect had expired, the hounds still had over two-thirds of their health left and rising. Apparently these things could regenerate health. They leapt onto the wall, but fortunately were unable to climb. They bayed and paced, frost creeping out in whorls from everywhere they touched. Ben retreated away from the edge and into the room. Shit, he said. Now what? Etta, class, Divine Seeker, level 9. HP, 67 out of 105. Mana, 7 out of 38. Status, normal. XP, 44,002. Next level, 45,000. Hounds of Halloween dealt with for the moment. Etta caught her breath and took stock of the little room they'd found themselves in. It looked like somebody's misbegotten idea of a nativity scene. A little alcove with straw on the floor, the same gray stone walls as everywhere else, the same dark wood beams and rafters. Lit torches hung in the center of three walls, flickering. There was a flat-topped treasure chest against the far wall, made of rough wood and iron bands. Dante crossed the room in three long steps and opened it before Etta had a chance to take control of the situation. It's just junk, he said, and kicked the chest harder than the situation strictly required. Behind him, Etta looked through the chest's inventory, just in case there was something he'd missed. But the dozens of items inside were literally labeled cheap trinkets and rusty junk. No potions, no super weapons, nothing to hint at what would take the Skull King down. So that didn't work, huh? Tandy said a little too loud. Dante turned on her, but before he could say anything, Ben rested a hand on his back. Easy champ, he said. We're all on the same team. Dante closed his eyes and took a slow breath, let it out inhaled again. But Etta could see his fingers were tight and trembling, and his shoulders were still high up by his ears. Let me heal everyone, she said. And then we can wait here until my mana fills up again. 
She laid hands on Dante first. She always felt like a miracle worker when she did this, and over these last weeks had wavered between considering it a spiritual act or a heretical one. Well, if nothing else, Jesus could see into her heart, and that was what counted in the end. Energy flowed out of her fingers and into Dante's body, and slowly his health bar filled up again. Not all the way, only to 70% or so, but it looked a lot better than before. She heard Ben and Dante murmuring to each other while she worked on Tandy. You okay, son? I'm fine. Snappish, furious. Hey, I know this is hard for you. And you can freak out as much as you need to later, but the emergency is still happening and we're all counting on you to hold it together. Can you do that? Is there something we can do to make this easier on you? I said I'm fine. It could have sounded sulky. Etta had been around enough teens and twenty-somethings to know exactly how that could have played out. But the second time Dante's words were measured, almost apologetic. Just let me know if there's... Thanks. Etta gave herself just a moment in the quiet to press her thumbs into her eye sockets and resent the series of life choices that had brought her to this particular moment in time. Leadership was a heavy burden and she'd never asked for it. It was just that time and again, she saw what needed doing and that nobody else would do it if she didn't step up to take care of things. Nothing ever changed, did it? Well, no amount of resentment was going to fix it, so she might as well not waste any more time. I guess we won't be taking out the Skull King today, she said. Are we agreed on that? Nods all around. Our only hope of winning this round was getting here first before Korea. Since Korea wasn't ready for this, nobody is, said Dante. So we should get the hell out of here and level up some more until we figure out what the secret to this place is. He'd calmed down some, though his jaw still popped with tension. So our new objective is to get out of here with everyone intact, Etta said. No loss of life, no loss of levels. Her voice shook and she hoped nobody could tell that she was secretly relieved that today she wouldn't have to, that she wouldn't have to make any difficult choices. How do we deal with the hounds? Ben asked. Maybe they'll leave by the time everyone has their mana topped up, Tandy said. If not, she swallowed. Maybe I can draw them off and let all of you escape. That's brave of you, but then how will we deal with everything else? Etta asked. I don't think we can get back to the front door the way we came. Not with our resources so depleted, and certainly not without you. She looked at her hands. I can't even heal everyone up all the way. What happens if we run into another team in this condition? Dante's brow furrowed. Usually there's a shortcut out just past the boss fight. Yeah, usually, but it's guarded by the boss, Tandy said. Dante shook his head. I didn't see any doors in the throne room, he said. I think if we kept going down that hallway past the entrance, if we were very sneaky and didn't get his attention, maybe we can make it out. If there are stairs there, it should come up right by the un-unlockable door in the first room, straight back to the front gate. Ben looked down into the hallway. The hounds are gone, he said. The coast is clear. Etta took in a deep breath. All right, she said. Let's watch our backs and get the hell out of here then.
Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Two. Dante, class, Bladed Guardian, level 10, HP 149 out of 208. Status, normal. XP, 48,733. Next level, 55,000. Dante breathed, and he counted. If he stopped breathing, or if he stopped counting, the red-black thing made of teeth and terror inside him would take over. The thing that needed perfection, and he couldn't let it win right now. It was taking everything he had to hold the thing in check but he had no choice. He owed it to his team and his country. He owed it to his little sister, who looked up to him so much. He owed it to himself to be the best he could be, even when everything went wrong, when he couldn't count on anything to be the way it was supposed to be. It wasn't just because he was making so much money and he felt like he needed to be earning every penny he got, though that was certainly part of it. And it wasn't just because the terror thing drove him to harder challenges and higher stakes every hour of every day. Ben had told him he had to be able to rely on himself. And Ben was the kind of man Dante had only pretended to be in games his whole life. Maybe there was more than one way the game was real now. As they passed the entrance to the Skull King's throne room, Dante pressed his back against the far side of the hallway to maximize the distance between himself and the boss. He slid sideways along the wall, toward the remaining unexplored area of the dungeon, and toward their best chance at escape. He moved as slowly as he could and listened carefully to the game's background music. Here, it was more somber and tense than in other parts of Alternus, and there was a recurring three-note refrain that sounded like it was about to segue into combat music but it never did. The rest of the team followed his lead, flattened against the wall, moving as slowly and soundlessly as they knew how. They got to the end of the hallway and turned a corner. There was a set of massive stone stairs leading up, flickering pale orange and blue in the dancing torchlight. He raced up the stairs three at a time, no way the Skull King could detect him from here, and pulled up the map to see if he was right. He was. This was the door they couldn't open before the shortcut back to the entrance. Hurry, Tandy whispered. He reached out his hand and pushed at the door to see if it was locked. The door swung open, easy and silent. The team let out a threadbare cheer. The entryway to the keep was just a short walk ahead of them and not a single monster in sight. He could see blue sky 
and the sun shining just beyond the gate. He could smell the mountain air. Etta took the lead this time, shouldering past him and striding across the courtyard. Dante let Ben and Tandy go ahead of him, so he could bring up the rear in case of a surprise attack. They walked through the gate. The world went sideways, distorted, and then they were back in the center of the courtyard. A glitch, or words glowed blue and ominous before them. Players cannot leave the mission area until the mission is complete. Ben let out a muffled curse, and Tandy pressed her hand against her mouth. They couldn't leave. There was no way out until the Skull King was dead, or until they were. The red-black thing that had always lived in Dante's head, the monster ready to devour him for any mistake, reared up and laughed. Dante breathed, and he counted, and he pushed it down again. Ben, class, elemental mage, level nine, HP, 77 out of 90, mana, 38 out of 54, status, normal, XP, 34,978, next level, 45,000. The party of adventurers huddled in a corner of the courtyard. Ben looked at each of them in turn, searching for weaknesses he could shore up or vulnerabilities he'd need to keep in mind. Dante's posture was loose to the point of carelessness, but the white cartilage of his knuckles showed through skin pulled much too tight. That was his battle, and there wasn't much more Ben could do beyond not putting more pressure on him. Etta looked resigned and tired. Someone who'd seen too much and lost too much. Ben hadn't thought she'd ever had combat duty, but now he wondered. Her expression was probably a perfect mirror of his. Tandy looked guilty, as if this whole thing were her fault. Before Ben could come up with a way to patch over that crack, Etta tried to pull it apart with a sharp chisel. We need a plan. Something to exploit. Some quick way to get an advantage. Come on, Tandy. There has to be something. Tandy's misery deepened. I don't know of any cheats or shortcuts here. Nothing. No. Dante threw a stray pebble against the wall. There has to be something. The pebble ricocheted and clattered toward the rays of sun coming in from the unreachable outside. I don't, Tandy insisted. Look, even if all of this was exactly the way I made it, and it's not, you can't expect me to remember every little detail. I've been working on this game for 10 years. Do you remember every part of every decision you made 10 years ago? No, Dante snapped, but... So why do you expect it to be different for me? You're on the team to give us an advantage. An advantage, sure. And I think I've done that. She motioned to the new gear they'd bought with their Zizzy loot. But a boost isn't the same as a complete walkthrough for every location and the complete stats and weaknesses for every last monster and alternus. Dante scrubbed his fingers through his hair. Maybe there's a clue somewhere in the keep to his weakness and we missed it. Ben snorted. You think the Koreans would have missed it too? And the Russians? And Dante reddened. Just an idea. It would be worth exploring. Etta was using her diplomatic voice now. If it weren't so dangerous out there, there might still be another team in the keep. The random encounters are no day at the beach, and we're running awful low on health, mana, potions, 
everything, Tandy said. Etta's brows had permanently knit together by now. She looked at Ben. I don't suppose there's a classic military approach we can use here. A little real-world expertise on how to proceed? Ben rubbed his fingers along the smooth edge of his robes absently, feeling for any snag or bump the same way his mind was exploring the edges of their dilemma, trying to find some way out of this. Outnumbered, he said. Outpowered and trapped behind enemy lines. That's when you go for guerrilla warfare, right? Etta crossed her arms and raised an eyebrow. The problem is that, in this case, the enemy doesn't have supply lines or ammo dumps to go after. We don't even have the advantage that a classic guerrilla action does. We don't have the lay of the land. We don't have the home court advantage. We're screwed, Dante said. His voice was tight. He was doing the best he could, but damn, he was just a kid. And he wasn't used to handling stakes like this. He'd had trouble handling lesser setbacks even when the only thing at risk was his own ego. It was a credit to him, the way he was soldiering on. Etta saw it too, and pressed a gentle palm against Dante's knuckles. Ben began to pace, his robes swishing around his ankles. Let's talk out what we have and what we know, Ben said, and maybe we'll find an advantage we haven't recognized yet. What do we have that the Koreans didn't have? Tandy, said Dante. For all the good she did us back there. Tandy shrank even more. Sorry, she said, as sincerely as if she really did think everything was her fault. Ben stared outside, at the beautiful, unreachable horizon. I wish we could just call in a drone strike, attack him without ever coming into shooting distance ourselves. Some games let you do that, Dante said slowly. Sort of. For boss, I know I can't take in a direct fight. I've parked on top of a mountain or something where it can't get at me and just fired at it for an hour or two, picking it off little by little until it dies without ever knowing I was there. It doesn't notice it's dying? Etta asked. It notice when you hit it, Dante said. Tandy finished for him. But if you stay still and don't shoot again until it's relaxed, then you can do it forever. Unless attention doesn't work that way in alternus. And unless the Skull King regenerates health, Dante added. Like his hounds did. Can he do that, Tandy? Ben asked. My Skull King couldn't, Tandy said. She ran her thumbs over her bow nervously. But my Skull King didn't have hounds either. This is all just whistling in the dark, if there's nowhere where we can see him that he can't see us, Etta pointed out. Ben hesitated. When they'd been in the Skull King's throne room, he'd noticed a series of balconies and vestibules overlooking the space, those heavy velvet drapes. There might be, he said. If we can just find a way in, he explained what he remembered. Genius, Etta said. So we just need to find out how to get there. Dante frowned into the air. He must have pulled up a map already. His fingers flicked at nothing. There's a chance those balconies are just there for decoration, he said. We haven't found anything else that could be on that floor. Tandy raised her hand as if she were in school. What about the hiding spot we found? She asked. That's on that floor. But there's no way out of that room, Ben said. How hard did we look? Tandy asked. 
We could have missed something, and that room can't be there for no reason, can it? It could, as far as Ben was concerned. Most of Alternus was the way it was for no rational reason at all. That went for Alternus as a whole, come to think of it. We'll take a second look, Etta decided. What have we got to lose? The tiny room was just the way they'd left it. Straw wadded on the floor, the chest, the burning torches. This is a puzzle, Dante announced. We should have seen it before. Shut it, Etta said, unless you know how to solve the puzzle. Ben pulled up wads of straw, looking underneath for trapdoors, levers, pressure plates. All he found was stone. Tandy pulled on the torches, pushed them, tried to twist them, but they were completely immovable. Dante sorted through the trinkets in the chest. Are we supposed to do something with this garbage? Ben took one of the pieces of junk from him and examined it carefully. It looked like a twisted, useless piece of metal, with blobs and divots on one side, but a smooth patina on the other. He fished another piece out of the chest. Some of the items here in Alternus were as identical as if they'd been manufactured on an assembly line. Each potion was the same, every arrow, but each of these pieces of metal was unique. He moved to the chest and sorted through the pieces, comparing them carefully. No two were alike, though they all had the same smooth sides and rough edges. I think I have something, he mumbled. It's a... like a... 3D jigsaw puzzle, I think. What? Dante rolled his eyes. If that's it, we're gonna be here for a month. Etta, though, loosened her shoulders. I don't think so, she said. I got this. Under Etta's direction, the team separated the chunks of metal into piles based on color and size. She found two with a similar streak of vertigrees and tried to fit them together. The fragments stuck as if they had always been a single piece. Tandy cheered. It is a puzzle! Over several painstaking minutes, Etta assembled the pieces into a small, grotesque bronze statue of a chubby child. What's that supposed to be? Dante asked. Cupid, I think, Ben said. When Etta put the last piece into its place, nothing happened. Oh, come on, Dante swore. Wait. Ben took the figurine, snapped the chest shut with one foot, and set the artwork on top. A grinding sound came from somewhere under their feet. One of the torches moved away from them as the wall swung open. The party looked at one another. Go team, Tandy said softly. They ducked through the new door and emerged into a cool, dark passageway. Light spilled in distinct squares farther down. They walked there slowly, quietly, on guard for traps or unseen monsters, but there was nothing here but themselves. Dante edged into the first square of light, paused, beckoned the rest of them over. The passage opened into a high balcony with a gorgeous view of the Skull King's throne room. The bodies of the Korean team were still there, broken, and lying in pools of blood. Ben wondered where they'd be when they completed the afterlife quests. Would they come back here, doomed to repeat this fight forever? Or would they awaken somewhere else without their gear? If they ventured in again, would they see their own corpses waiting for them? Ben shuddered at the thought. 
Mr. Skull King was pacing in front of his throne, as if he were impatient for the fight to resume. Ben hath expected him to look at his watch. The hounds were nowhere in sight. Maybe they'd despawned, only to be summoned again during an active fight. This is perfect, Tandy sent in group chat. There's no combat music. If it'll work at all, it'll work here, Dante agreed. Now, the next question is, do we have anything that can damage him? Anything at all? One way to find out, Tandy sent. She crept toward the edge of the balcony. Arrow knocked and let one fly toward the Skull King. It struck for 10 HP of damage, barely a drop in his ocean of health. The background music kicked up in intensity and the Skull King's pacing increased in speed. Ben waited, tense. The Skull King's health bar didn't fill up again. Apparently he didn't regenerate. After an excruciating minute, the music settled back into its regular pace. Well, that sucked, Dante said. Etta, why don't you try to bless him? Maybe you can do some real damage. Ben held up a hand. Shouldn't I send off one of my spells? Fire seems to do okay here, so maybe the king is weak to it too. If it were that easy, the Koreans would have done a lot better, Dante said. We know they have fire attacks too. Okay, I'll try bless. Etta moved to the edge of the balcony. Fire, and then duck and move back before it hits, Dante instructed. Don't stay up to watch how it does. Got it. She raised her hands and sent a blessing winging toward the Skull King, then scrambled back to where he wouldn't be able to see her. Nothing happened this time. The music didn't change at all. There were no damage notifications. And when Dante braved a glance at the Skull King's health bar, it hadn't budged. The range must be too far, Tandy said. He should have noticed that attack, even if it missed. And if it hit for zero damage, there would have been a notification. Dante grimaced. Punyeta. A slow path to victory, Ben thought, was still a path to victory. But Dante kept filling up the screen with new lines. Bad news. A 10 HP of damage per shot, and with the Skull King's 5,000 HP of damage, Tandy needs to shoot 500 arrows to take him out. Yeah, Tandy responded. And I don't have 500 arrows. I only have a couple dozen left. Shit, Ben said quietly. Yet another way this design sucks. No offense, Tandy. There should be a shopkeeper or something here. It's a tradition, isn't it? To let a party stock up again right before they get into a boss fight? We haven't found any potion caches or anything anywhere in this place. As if on cue, the world froze. A progress bar appeared. Game update in progress. Please stand by. What the hell? Ben started. But Dante was staring at his displays. He jabbed the air with two fingers. The map, he whispered out loud. Look at the map. Ben preferred to rely on good old-fashioned dead reckoning and landmarks, not least because he was sure the game would lock them out of the map one day, when they needed it most. But just this once, he pulled up the game's automatically generated map display. There was a glowing dot in the maze, not far from their location, where there definitely wasn't one before. It was labeled 
General Store. Three. Tandy. Class Veiled Archer. Level 9. HP 100 out of 102. Status Normal. XP 34,848. Next level 45,000. Tandy scooted back into the passageway behind the row of balconies and fluttered there, unsure if she should set out first like some kind of leader or if she should wait for consensus. The others followed her, thankfully. I knew the game was supposed to be adaptive, Dante said slowly, but something is fucking weird about all this. Is it some kind of trap? Etta asked. It can't be a trap, Ben said. The treaty says the game isn't allowed to lie to us outright. Tandy stared at the glowing dot. Maybe the game decided that the difficulty for this area is set too high for everyone, and it's fine-tuning it just to give us a chance, or someone a chance. Is that cheating? Dante asked. When your life is on the line, you use any advantage you can get, no matter what rules it breaks. Ben strode out in front of Tandy. Let's check it out. Wait, Etta said. If the game updated for us, it updated for everyone at the same time, which means everyone will be headed there at once, Tandy said. It's gonna be like the Battle Royale all over again. She stopped herself. The Russians are already out of the picture, Ben said. He hooked a thumb toward the throne room and the Koreans. We don't even know how many other teams got this far, Tandy said. Maybe there's nobody left. That's a hell of a thing to bank on. Etta's voice was grim. They looked at one another silently. What's the alternative? Dante asked. Sit here, waiting for somebody else to kill him? However long that takes? Etta's lips pressed together. You're right, she said. Just like every other damn thing that's happened to us. It's the only option we have. Let's go shopping. The store was tucked into a corner in the newly generated maze. Tandy could have sworn they'd been in that area on the way in and that it had been completely empty at the time. A standard 10 by 10 area, nondescript to the point of tedium. Looking at it now, she'd wished she'd spent a little more time on interior textures. Though in a maze, everything looking alike was the point, wasn't it? They made as little noise as they could as they walked to avoid attracting attention, and kept their weapons ready in case another group of players turned up with murder on their minds. But the place was as empty as an airport at 3 a.m., echoing and abandoned, as if they were the only people left in all the world. Before they re-entered the maze, Dante signaled for the rest to hang back. Something is around the corner, he said. I see a weird shadow. He peered around the corner, trying to stay as concealed as possible. And then he flinched and turned back. Never mind, he said. No danger here. Tandy stepped around the corner to see what he had seen. There were bodies there. A black man and woman, both in chain armor and bearing fearsome pole arms. 
Their armor was shredded into deep furrows, like claw marks, though somehow there was no blood. They were covered in frost. Tandy guessed that they'd made it all the way into the throne room, made the same discovery as Team USA, and fled until the Skull King's hounds had caught them. Who were they? Tandy asked. She tried to remind herself that they weren't really dead. They were simply floating in tanks, just like her. And perhaps right now they were in Alternus's afterlife, doing some silly dance like the one Ben had reluctantly demonstrated on the way in. They sure looked dead, though. Ben frowned. South Africa, he said. That flag painted on their armor is South African. I never even met them alive, Etta murmured. Only saw them on global chat once in a while. I wonder where the rest of the team is. As long as they're not waiting to ambush us, it doesn't matter, Dante said. Let's keep going. The team stepped carefully around the bodies. Etta murmured something Tandy couldn't hear as she passed them. Some benediction, maybe. They wound through the twists and turns, patiently navigating toward the store. The next team they found was from Turkey. All four were here, and they'd clearly gone out in a showy fight. The walls were splattered with blood along a 50-foot stretch, and three of the four were charred into anonymity. Dante walked over to the fourth. Bucky, my man, he said softly. Better luck next time. Tandy shuddered. So much death, even just pretend death, had unnerved her. It was too quiet in here. Perhaps the players had cleared out the monsters, and then went another. Are we the last players left in the dungeon? She asked. Last one's alive, you mean, Dante said. Yeah, we might be. Keep moving, Etta said. We're not far now. And don't let your guard slip for even a second. They took the final turn in the maze. Their pace slowed the closer they got until they reached a standstill at the threshold to the room marked General Store. It was dark inside. They looked at one another, uncertain. Closed for the night? Ben said. Light it up, Etta said. Ben shrugged and cast a ball of light into the room. The place was completely bare. The same stone walls and cobwebbed corners as everywhere else. There were no shelves, no tables, no furniture of any kind, much less stacks of merchandise. The only thing in the room was the figure of a woman with wavy dark hair shadowing a dark face. She stood motionless in incongruous street clothes, jeans and a plain black t-shirt. Her eyes were closed as if she were asleep. The figure looked familiar. Tandy stepped into the room first, trying to get a better look at her. The woman's eyes snapped open, and Tandy saw the deep brown eyes she'd known as long as she could remember with the same crinkles at the corners, the same soft angle to her eyebrows. It was her. The woman was Tandy. Tandy, the real Tandy, screamed despite herself. The doppelganger even had her name. The information box floating above her head said Tandy, the shopkeeper. Shut up, you're gonna draw attention, Dante hissed from the doorway. From who, exactly? Ben asked. What the hell is going on here, Tandy? Etta asked. 
She followed Tandy into the room and then went quiet, looking between the two of them. Jesus Christ on a popsicle stick, she said at last. Gentlemen, would you join us in here for one moment? Tandy pressed her knuckles into her mouth. I'm sorry, I just... I don't... Ben just shrugged at the sight, like he expected nothing else from Alternus. But Dante gave Tandy side-eye. You put yourself into the game. No! I wouldn't do something like that! I'm not as vain as all that! I'm not vain at all! Just the egg in the temple, Dante reminded her. I didn't do this, Tandy insisted. She was certain she hadn't. If she'd done anything like it, she knew she'd remember. She studied the likeness. It was perfect. Down to the tiny scar on her chin. The way her flyaway hairs curled at the temples. The single dark freckle below her left ear. Even if she'd been designing a copy of herself, she would never have thought to include those things. It, it can't have been procedurally generated, can it? Procedurally generated like my left ass cheek is procedurally generated, Dante said. Is this a hack? Tandy, are we going to get kicked out for cheating? Etta asked. It's not me, Tandy said again. Can't you just believe me after everything we've done together? The others looked at one another, a little ashamed. Sorry, T, Dante said. It's just weird. I know it's weird, she said. But if the game is updating on the fly to make it possible for someone to win, then maybe something... She trailed off, unable to come up with an explanation that made any sense of anything. She stared at her own face a little longer. This defied any rational explanation. Just like Alternus itself relying so heavily on content from her game. What forces were at work? And why did they seem to care so much about Tandy? Maybe there's a clue embedded in her, Dante said abruptly. In all this time, Tandy the shopkeeper had been standing as still as a mannequin, lacking even the basic eye-tracking and fidgeting found in every other NPC they'd ever seen in Alternus. Hello, Dante said to not Tandy. How's it going? Are you here to buy or sell today? Asked the shopkeeper in Tandy's voice, if Tandy were given to speaking in monotone. Information. Dante said. Are you here to buy or sell today? The shopkeeper said again. Tandy elbowed Dante. Hi, we need your help, she said. Do you know how to defeat the Skull King? Tandy the shopkeeper continued to look at nothing. Are you here to buy or sell today? What's wrong with her? Ben asked. Is she like, what's her name? The one we rescued from the gargoyles? No dialogue tree. Dante said. Maybe it's not built out all the way, but maybe if we just hit her with the right keyword, she'll know something. They spent several minutes firing keywords and phrases at the shopkeeper. Kill, defeat, throne, crown, sword, fire, undead, victory, quest. The only answer they ever got was the same again and again. Are you here to buy or sell today? At last, Etta raised a hand to put a stop to the questions. That's enough, she said. All we're doing is losing time. And we didn't come here for answers. We came here for arrows. 
Does she even have anything to sell? Ben looked skeptically around the empty room. Only one way to find out. Dante cleared his throat. I'd like to buy something, he smiled. Wow, she has a lot of stuff, he said. He tapped at the air, and the same window opened for the rest of them. The shop's stock was absolutely brimming with the necessities of adventuring. Health and mana potions, arrows, scrolls full of minor buffs and debuffs for speed, protection, and other stats boosts. Tandy scrolled through page after page of items, marveling at the variety. Prices are an insult, Ben muttered. He was right. Everything was a steep markup from what they'd have paid back in Knightsholt for the same stuff. No point in saving pennies, though. All the gold in the world won't help us as long as we're stuck in here, Edda said. This is what all that money is for. There are weapons, Dante said abruptly. Swords, spears, knives. Does any of it look magic to you? Tandy asked. Not for the prices, Dante answered. I sorted from most expensive to least expensive, so the best stuff would have come at the top of the stack. But none of these things are even as good as the gear we're using already. Christ, they even have a starter rustic bow for you, Tandy. Tandy sorted by price, too, to see what he was talking about. But it sorted the wrong way for her. Least expensive items first. There was an item listed in paler letters than the rest of them. It just said arrow, where her usual supply was common arrows. This cost was only one copper piece, and only one was available. She tapped into the description. It read, Always hits the ground. Was it cursed? Did that mean it would never hit a target? Tandy stared at it for a moment. Then she bought the arrow anyway. She didn't know why, but it seemed... right. You get your 500 arrows yet? Edda asked. We should probably talk about how to spend our budget. By a thousand, Dante said. Just in case you don't hit him every time. Or you don't always do the same damage, or... Edda snorted. We can't afford a thousand. Six hundred arrows, Dante said. And we'll spend what's left on health and mana potions. Edda nodded. It's a deal. The team made the necessary purchases, and the items appeared in their inventory. Tandy pulled one of her new common arrows out and held it in her hand for a second, just to make sure it was real. Well, as real as anything else. I guess this is it, she said. Ready, team? Ready as we'll ever be, Ben answered. The first three trooped out of the store. As Tandy turned to leave, Tandy the shopkeeper reached out and pulled her hand to keep her from moving away. She looked straight into Tandy's eyes this time and spoke urgently, as if she had woken up from some deep hypnotic trance. I believe in you, Tandy's doppelganger told her. Don't be afraid. I... What? Tandy the shopkeeper let the real Tandy's hand slip through her fingers. Her eyes closed. Tandy followed her teammates back out into the maze. Did you say something? Ben asked her. I didn't hear. No, Tandy said. I... No. She mulled over the words of the other Tandy, the not Tandy. On the face of it, they were meant to be comforting. Don't be afraid. So why was Tandy more afraid 
than ever. Four. Dante, class, Bladed Guardian, level 10. HP, 208 out of 208. Status, normal. XP, 48,733. Next level, 55,000. They returned to the balcony, more subdued even than when they'd first arrived at the store. Along the way, Dante noticed a small pile of ash with a dagger and a few loose stone beads half buried in it. The dagger had a distinctive hilt, banded in purple and gold enamel. The distinctive colors of Nakushi, an older woman he'd known on the pro circuit. She was a fearsome opponent with a near religious devotion to the Pune City Football Club and used their colors everywhere. Dante couldn't be sure it was Nakushi. They hadn't crossed paths in Alternus, but it would have made good sense for the team from India to bring her in. Tough luck, Dante murmured to her ashes. That couldn't have been a fun way to go out. As they traveled, he ran the numbers. He'd already figured it would take 500 arrows to kill the Skull King, give or take a few dozen. So how long was that going to take? He hadn't timed precisely how long it took for the Skull King to stand down again, but it hadn't been exceptionally short. He'd assume a 60-second timeout between attacks to make sure they didn't give the Skull King a chance to locate them and bust out any distance attacks. So if Tandy executed it perfectly, that meant they were going to spend at least 8.333 hours on this attack. And that was if it was perfect which it wouldn't be, not over the course of over eight hours. Eight hours. Probably more like 10 or 12 hours, given a buffer of a few seconds for Tandy to shoot again and breaks for nerves and resting. Damn. It was too bad the general store and creepy not Tandy didn't sell anything to pass the time better. A deck of cards or books of Sudoku puzzles or whatever. He broke the bad news in the passageway behind the balconies. This is gonna be a real marathon, Ben grunted. What are you talking about? Dante explained the math. And the longer it takes, he said, the more likely it is some other team is gonna get back in here and swoop in for the kill once we have him weakened. And all those dead teams lying around, we can't count on them staying dead forever. That's a risk we'll have to take. Edda said firmly. There's no chance we'll take him head on. And we can't get out of here any other way. Eight hours, though? Tandy looked at her fingers. That's... a lot. What else can we do? Edda asked. There was silence. No matter how long it took, the team really didn't have a choice. The only way out was through the Skull King. Tandy took a deep breath and then knocked a fresh arrow. No time to spare, she said. She entered the balcony, aimed carefully, and let fly. The hours passed slowly. Tandy had to take breaks more often than Dante would have liked. Sometimes her hands grew cramped, or she lost focus or maybe nerve. The rest of them sat quietly behind her, tense but unable to do anything to take the pressure off Tandy. 
None of them had any skill in archery. The best they could do was waste arrows and time, and at worst, the Skull King would spot them instantly, since none of them had the veiled archer specialty. It turned out that Dante's guesstimate of the 60-second timeout was correct, but Tandy left a few extra seconds after the music returned to normal each time, afraid to draw the Skull King's wrath, and Dante had to admit that under the circumstances, it really was better to be safe than sorry. There were some good discoveries. Tandy's arrows consistently did the same amount of damage every time. She hit with almost every arrow. And the timeouts never got longer. After three hours, she had the Skull King down to 4,000 HP. She drew back into the passageway. I need a little while, she said. I'm so sorry. Take all the time you need, Etta said. Without you, we'd be up the creek right now. Tandy took a short break even closing her eyes for a nap. Dante wondered what time it was outside and how long they'd been here. There wasn't a system clock to help him keep track. When the Skull King was down to about 1,500 health, just when Tandy was about to loose another arrow, the Skull King's hounds spawned by his side. Get back, get back, Dante hissed. Team USA scrambled back into the quiet passage behind the balconies. The Canadian team appeared in the vestibule, ready for battle. Their shadow mage was the first to go. The hounds circled around and pulled her to pieces. The two warriors hacked at the Skull King, but he grabbed one in a massive hand and crushed the life out of him, the same way they'd seen the Korean team go out. The other warrior stumbled away and slipped on her teammate's blood. She fell onto her back. The Skull King cast a spell that froze the fallen warrior in place, then followed it up with a crackling nimbus of frost and lightning. The warrior's health slowly drained to zero. The last Canadian fled. The hounds ran off behind the survivor, but they never came back. Slowly, much more slowly than usual, the combat music diminished into the baseline again. After about 15 minutes, they must have killed the last guy and despawned, Tandy said quiet. In all, the Canadians had done about 200 points of damage to the Skull King, barely as much as the Koreans. Tandy took a deep breath, raised her bow, and fired the next arrow. The last hour, Dante couldn't keep still, and neither could the Skull King. As his health lowered, his movements became increasingly erratic, even agitated. He sped up, rushing from one corner of his throne room to the next, his empty eyes searching for his hidden assailant. This is too simple. Only fire when his back is turned, Dante sent to Tandy. It'll take longer, but just in case. She didn't say anything in return, but he caught her rolling her eyes at him. She only fired when the Skull King's back was turned. Finally, it was time for the last arrow. The Skull King had seven HP left, a barely visible sliver in the health bar. Ready or not, Tandy sent. Here I come. She sighted for a little longer than usual this time, then loosed the arrow. It flew true and struck the Skull King for 10 HP of damage, just like always. The music changed, but this time to something grandiose and moody. Before their eyes, the boss monster was suffused with a crackling black energy. He rose up into the air, spun, 
and then slowly crumbled into a whirlwind of bone dust. Lightning lanced across the throne room. Holy shit, Ben murmured. But something was wrong. There was no notification of experience points awarded, no leveling up, nothing. Wait, Dante said. Get back, get back, get back! He has a second form! Five. Tandy, class failed archer. Level nine. HP, 102 out of 102. Status, normal. XP, 34,848. Next level, 45,000. The Skull King's new form coalesced gradually. First, it was only a raging whirlwind of bone dust shot through with lightning. Then, it took on an indistinct humanoid shape with massive jaws and grasping hands. There was a howling noise, enough to drown out the music. The thing was as tall as the balcony. It looked directly toward them. Shit, 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 Ben said from somewhere next to her. Tandy fired an arrow. She only had about 30 left by now. It flew toward the Skull King's heart, but instead of striking true, it just whirled around and around, like a twig caught in a hurricane. The new form had a new health bar, 8,000 HP this time, and her arrow had done no damage at all. How do you fight something you can't even touch? She didn't have anything else. Etta fired off a bless. The shape of a glowing dove winged toward the heart of the whirlwind and burst. 74 HP of damage. Not even 1% of the new total, but it was better than nothing. Ben sent a fireball toward the figure, but the bolt just kicked up into the bright sparks and vanished without doing any damage. The same as Tandy's arrow. Etta, just keep blessing it, Dante yelled. Lightning crackled. The balcony before them crumbled away, and so did part of the passageway, leaving them exposed to the Skull King's gaze. There was no more hiding. A hand of whirling dust moved toward them, passing over them. Dante swung at it with his sword. The electricity crackled up the blade. The weapon clattered from his hands and down into the throne room, where it shattered on the floor. Dante hadn't done any damage, but he'd lost 40 HP from the bolt. The Skull King drew back and opened his maw. Dozens of giant balls of blue lightning emerged and floated toward the party. Get out of here, Etta shouted. There's no way we can take him. The team scrambled toward the end of the passageway, back toward the little room with the treasure chest, but the hand of the whirlwind blocked their way. The balls of lightning struck. Pain surged through Tandy's body. She'd been shocked before. There was a piece of bad wiring in a bathroom she'd had growing up. And if she switched the light off after she'd showered without drawing her hands off, she'd get zapped, like being stung by an angry wasp. This was like that, across her whole body. And it went on and on until she felt that dying would be better. When the pain receded, she could barely register the flood of new notifications passing by. Tandy has taken 42 HP of damage. Dante has taken 59 HP of damage. Edda has taken 35 HP of damage. Ben has taken 35 HP of damage. Tandy is electrocuted. Dante is electrocuted. Edda is electrocuted. Ben is electrocuted. The electrocuted debuff was a nasty business. 
Edda's and Ben's mana meters emptied rapidly, and everyone's hit points began to dwindle at about 15 HP every two seconds. They were all going to die, and there was no way out. The Skull King drew himself up, brushing the vaulted ceiling, and he laughed. Well, Tandy wouldn't go down without giving it everything she had. Her common arrows didn't work, so what else did she have? She pulled up her inventory. The arrow, just plain arrow, was at the top of her inventory list, pulsing faintly, as if it were trying to get her attention. It always hit the ground, and that was better than her last arrow had done. Well, why not then? She had nothing left to lose. She drew the string back, sighted carefully along the arrow at the enemy's eye. Though the swirling vortex was so big, she didn't see how she could miss, and she let fly. When the arrow hit the mark, there was a burst of light that blinded her. She instinctively threw her arms over her head in an effort to protect herself from the hit that was surely coming next. Chimes began to ring, somber and glad, vibrating into her bones. Tandy opened her eyes. The Skull King's health bar had gone to zero. Below them, the Skull King was undergoing magnificent death throes. Wisps of bone dust and lightning whipped around, scouring the walls and shredding the curtains and tapestries. Slowly, the dust knotted together, like stars forming from a nebula, until the king had taken his skeletal form once again. But instead of reviving, this time the bones shattered like glass, the pieces skittering across the floor. Dante stared at Tandy. What did you do? He asked. I don't know, Tandy said. She'd fallen to her knees, or maybe she'd been on her knees the whole time. She didn't know. She crawled to the edge of the ruined balcony to get a better look at what had become of the Skull King. You did almost 8k of damage with one arrow, Tandy. That had to be a cheat. What did you do? Maybe it was a critical hit, Tandy offered but that sounded like a flimsy rationale even to her. Did the game cheat for you? Dante scrubbed his hands through his hair, bewildered. It can't cheat, Ben said briskly. It's governed by a bunch of international treaties, and the team of operators that keeps the servers running all watch one another. It's designed to be impartial. Right, Tandy said. It's all just math. Database transactions, random number generators, algorithms. It's not like I have a console and root access in here, Dante. I couldn't have cheated. A new spasm of notifications came. You have received 15,000 experience points. Welcome to level 10. Take a look at the leaderboard, Ben said. We've hit number three. Only third place? Dante jabbed furiously at the air. Jesus Christ. For this amount of trouble, we should be number one. We should at least be beating Korea. They died here and we didn't. Numbers don't lie, Tandy said, as much to herself as anyone else. Check out Global Chat, Dante said. It's going bananas right now. Tandy pulled it open to find a screen jumping like popcorn popping. The scroll was so fast she could hardly keep up. Who did it? Look at the board. It, it was USA. How? They're so weak. Korea lost some levels from dying. Who didn't? This sucks. Dante laughed, his mouth wide open. 
They can eat our dust, he said. There's a new sheriff in town. He gave Tandy a high five and then pulled Ben into a hug. Even Ben was laughing. Tandy wasn't sure she'd actually seen him laugh before now. Ben looked around. Hang on, he said. Where's Etta? Down there, Dante nodded. Checking out the loot. Let's all go see. The Skull King's remains lay in a broken spiral on the floor, like a shattered plate. Etta had his crown in her hands. It was a Spartan thing, just a circlet of plain iron studded with dull chips of white stone. Tandy wouldn't have flagged it as anything special if she'd seen it anywhere else. A new notification popped up, the final part of their quest. New objective. Deliver the Skull King's crown to the Elf Queen of Riversong. The modest experience boost from the last objective would be enough to pop Team USA up to the first spot on the leaderboard after all. And nobody else had the crown, so this should be a walk in the park. Tandy grinned and hugged herself. Dante turned to Tandy. River song? Really? Like the Doctor Who character? Tandy shrugged. <sighs> okay, fine, she said. That one is my fault. So sue me. Tandy sat on the edge of the balcony and slid down the slope of rubble onto the floor of the Skull King's throne room. What else has he got? She asked Etta. Etta stuck the crown into her inventory. Come see, she said. I don't even know what we're going to do with all of this. And there's a chest behind the throne, too. Tandy opened the interface to see what the Skull King had carted around with him. There was a lot of money, a few magical rings and amulets. And there, it was an enchanted sword, probably dropped here to replace Dante's broken one. Dante! Tandy called. She pulled the sword out and brandished it. I'm gonna poon you noobs, she said in her very best Dante impersonation, which was, it turned out, extremely bad. Dante slid down to the main floor. Shut up and give me that, he said, and wrestled the sword from her grip. You can't use it anyway. Ben had opened the other chest. Tandy, I've got some magic arrows for you, he said. About time. Tandy scrambled over to look at them. They were beautiful, long and silvery, with an opalescent quality to the fletching. Elf maid, she said. Oh, this is going to be so great. So you made this place, Riversong? Dante asked. I sure did, Tandy said. Well, it might be different, but we know. Etta interrupted her, though kindly. But whatever you can tell us now will be a tremendous help. Ben and Dante nodded their agreement. Tandy gleamed with happiness at how the team was recognizing her help. Okay, the first thing I should tell you, she said, is that it's a pretty long journey to Riversong. And dangerous? Ben wrinkled his brow. I assume these elves are going to try to kill us. Yeah, Tandy said. Well, no, not all of them. She bounced with excitement. Oh, I can't wait to show you. The elves are my very favorite part. See, the queen has a problem she's going to need our help to solve. Epilogue. Edda, class divine seeker, level 10, HP 
113 out of 133. Mana, 56 out of 56. Status, normal. XP, 59,002. Next level, 65,000. The camp that night was a boisterous production. Dante and Ben traded the funniest war stories they had. Tandy tried to justify, they're all good dogs once and for all. And Etta, well, while her teammates were busy effervescing about their unexpected win, Etta excused herself and walked out of the circle of firelight. This was it. There was no turning back now. Nobody noticed her going just like nobody had thought twice when she took the crown into her own inventory. Thank the Almighty for not winding up in a conversation about that. She'd had dozens of sleepless nights thinking about how to execute her special patron's instructions if someone else had gotten to the crown before her. She argued with herself as she crunched over layers of dry mountain pine needles. She was betraying her team, who trusted her respected her, counted on her. She wasn't going to lie to herself and make it like this was something it wasn't. But it was for the greater good. This wasn't about personal gain. This was about helping her community any way she could. The people who the U.S. government had overlooked again and again. The people it was her life's work to protect and uplift. Her employer had offered to feed them, Educate them, protect them, and in exchange, all she had to do was one or two tiny favors here and there when the request came in. It wouldn't hurt the U.S. much. Not too much. At any rate, she could be a villain if the price for helping her people was the sacrifice of her reputation. In her heart, she still knew it was the right thing no matter how much she liked the rest of Team USA. This was bigger than personal feelings. Dante called from the fire. Hey, Etta, coming back? I want to hear why you're so fast at a jigsaw. Etta winced. Well, it's like they always said on those old reality shows. I'm not here to make friends. She gripped the crown until her knuckles hurt and turned back toward her teammates a dozen yards away. Her throat got tight and her eyes stung. She hadn't expected this to be as hard as it was, but what choice did she have? If this was the only way she could alleviate suffering, then... Etta! Tandy called over. You should really taste this stew Ben made. I'm sorry, Etta said. She fished the teleport scroll out of her inventory and read it aloud, smoother the second time than it had been the first. Dante's brow furrowed. Etta? Ben's eyes widened with shock. He must have figured it out. He stood, and he raced toward her. Etta finished reading before he reached her. The camp and the forest and her friends faded from her view. And then Etta was somewhere else, alone. You're listening to Control-Alt-Destroy, starring Summer Glau. Produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Realm, 
Listen away. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Control-Alt-Destroy is written by Andrea Phillips, Maurice Broadus, Jacqueline Koyanagi, and E.C. Myers. Executive produced by Molly Barton and Julian Yap. Audio production, sound design, editing, and theme music by Amanda Rose Smith.